For those who don't know me, my name's Nathan, and if it's your first time at Westside, um, normally you don't have to listen to me. It's someone else named David who's out of town, and uh, as you heard through the, the prayer earlier that Stephanie was praying, um, uh, David's out of town, he's with his family, and I offered to kind of step up because, for one, I, I do really like teaching, but also because uh, it was uh, an opportunity for him to be able to go out of town and, and be with his family in this time. So... Um, when he asked me what to talk about, I didn't have any ideas. Actually, that's not true. I always feel, and this is something maybe that you guys, uh, this is maybe something that you guys feel like, that sometimes you'll hear a sermon, and then you'll be like, oh, but he should have mentioned this. And I get, I get the opportunity to be like adding those things that I feel like he should have said, um, or he should have added. It's like a, like a, a PS at the end, or, or kind of like a Sunday morning after credit scene. Um, <laughs> My kids are kind of trained for after-credit scenes now. I don't know if you guys are like that too. Like it's like a, a movie will end and then the, the credits will start and then I'll go to, to turn it off. I'm like, no, don't. There's one more thing. And then they're really attentive to something that really you know, lasts all of three seconds. Um, and it's just kind of their, their, how we're all trained for that. So this is what it is. This is my like money habits after-credit scene or post-scriptum where we're going to try to wrap up with some things that... Uh, that um, that maybe um, would help us to really put into practice what we've been hearing over the past month. Uh, we, are, we are in a series on money habits, and uh, David has brought some really cool teaching right out of Scripture about like, how we should think of our money, how we should live with our money, and how we should uh, give, send, uh, uh, save, uh, how we should, you know, our relationship with debt, our relationship with lots of different things. And if you haven't listened to these series yet, I really encourage you guys to go check out the podcast and uh, listen to what, what was already said. Um, what I'm trying to do today, and this is something that I think is a human thing to do, when we often hear a teaching, um, often uh, we'll, we'll say, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That's true. It's so true. I'm glad you said that. Uh, but you haven't thought about, you know, in my situation, it just doesn't work. And you kind of kind of rationalize your way out of obedience. That's something that I do frequently. I'll kind of come up with my excuse to not follow what I was taught because, well, he didn't really consider just, just how tight I am financially at this moment. You know, maybe one day this will be applicable, but right now it just doesn't apply to me. I can't do it. It just seems too hard. And, and what I'm going to try to do is take from my own experience and kind of share some stories about, um, without going into the numbers um, too much, but like share some exp- experience about like me and, and Stephanie and, and our, our experience with money and my, my history with, with, with that and, and how I've tried to put into practice different, different things and at the same time add a bit of a, a, a scriptural uh, basis for, for what I'm saying. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, what I'm going to start with is a story. And this is a story that from, the, from the New Testament in the book of Mark chapter 10. And, um, and we're going to read it together. And, I, and, and this is a story that kind of haunts me whenever I think of money because it's one of those uh, passages where Jesus talks about it. And Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. So it's, a, it's one of his topics that he brings up a lot. And whenever I think of how Jesus wants us to view money, I think of this story and it scares me. So, so we will read it together and hopefully it will scare you. But at the same time, uh, it will maybe uh, get you thinking about why it's so important to, to have a good relationship and to, to think of our money habits in a way that, that's that's true to scripture. So this is Mark 10, verse 17. A bit of context. This is after that great passage where Jesus asks the little children to come to him and he, and he tells the disciples, no, it's important that everyone feels like, uh, has access to me and, and, and to, to the kingdom. And it's, it's, a great, it's a great passage. And then Jesus gets up to go and he's done his teaching. And this, this young man 
Oh, I assume he's young. It doesn't really say specifically, but this young man runs up to him and, and it's like, like the ultimate fanboy. He's just like, yeah, Jesus. And it says right here in the passage, so as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. I can just imagine him out of breath. <laughs> oh, good teacher, he said, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's like one of those like, ultimate fanboy questions. How do I do it? What do you have? The secret? What's the secret to your greatness? And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor father and mother. There's more to that list. I kind of imagine that the, the, the boy at the point, this point interrupts him. <laughs> he says, teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. So you have this, 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 this young man who's, who's keen to know more about Jesus, keen to know eternal life. And then Jesus looks at him um, and loves him. And I, I love that sentence. So Jesus just likes his, loves the enthusiasm, loves the drive he feels to, to follow and, and be uh, a, a, a person that's following after Jesus. And Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. <laughs> it's scary yet, yeah. And then and at, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus knows this situation and challenges him specifically at, the, at, his, weak, at his weak spot, as often he does with us. He, he knows what's holding us back, and, he, and, he'll, and he'll kind of pinpoint it. He says, well, Jesus, Jesus says to him, yeah, great, you're, you're, you're keen to follow me. Put away your stuff and come. And he can't do it. And Jesus knows this, and he follows through and says, Jesus looked at him and said to his disciples, looked around him and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at these words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? What, what's this new criteria that we hadn't considered before? Why, why, why can't the rich people come in? And then Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. So nobody. <laughs> but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then, Jesus, then Peter spoke up. And, and as, as you imagine Peter here, I, I imagine him in two different ways here. There's two possibilities. I haven't quite decided which one is probably what actually happened, but either he's saying here, we've left everything to follow you, like a frustrated, angry Peter. That's one, one imagination here. He's like, hey, did the, am I disqualified too in this? Or, or it's the, well, we've left everything to follow you. As in like the, <laughs> look at Look at how much I've given. It's, 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 so it's either one of those two. That's my, that's my, that's my idea. Either he's, either he's patting himself on the back and he's saying, well, we, we're the guys. We're following you. We left everything. Or, or it's the, I can't believe you're saying this. We've already left everything. Why are you making it harder? It's, you know? So, so either of those ways, I think I see myself in both of those. Um. But Jesus responds to this in a way that I think is, is, is really profound. And he says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, 
No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or, or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And, and here Jesus is saying, I think, two things. He's saying, um, don't worry, <laughs> I got you. I got this. And he's also saying, with that last sentence, many who are first will be last, and last will be first. He's saying, I got, I got this, but you didn't earn it. Some of you, even if you're the first to follow me, you'll be among the last. And some of you, you know, some of the ones who will be the last to follow me will be from among the first. Um, your, your status doesn't depend on how much you've given. So, so that's where we're going to start. And you can imagine why this is scary, because it does change, I think, our view of wealth. And this is where we're going to start. And I feel like, at this point, I'd like to stop Maybe take a minute to pray, because I forgot to do that at the very beginning. And it's something I want to do every time we get up in front. And uh, so, so let's just bow our heads and, and pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we love you. We see you in this story as, as someone who challenges us specifically, um, someone who's after us, not just our money, but all of us, who wants the entire self that we, we could give. I pray, God, that you will, in this moment, use my words to, to speak to all of us. I pray that you'll help me uh, communicate clearly in a way that um, will, will, will make you proud um, and make you understand, and make them, and make us all understand uh, your heart for us and, and your love for us. Free us from the bad habits that we've developed and, uh, and, and, and guide us in the way that you want us to live because we really do want to be your disciples, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, quick resume. Quick re res that's, a, that's an English word, right? No, the French word? I don't know. Um, here, so a few things, a few sentences that, that, uh, that, um, that David brought up in the past few weeks, and these are all big principles. He's, he would talk about how the habit of giving breaks the habit of worry. He would talk about the right order of, of, of how we use our money, um, and how um, he was encouraged us even last week to, to aim at giving and then saving and then spending and in that order, which is like the opposite of what the culture says. Um, he did say at one point, and this one stuck with me, if you track your money habits, you'll discover what you value. And I think that was a really big truth. Um, he talked about, you know, when money is your master, that stress is not far behind. And how the more you, you, you think and, and, and talk about money, the more sometimes, if you, particularly if it's running your life, if you're all constantly worried about that, it kind of brings stress with that. And then the words of Jesus, where your heart, treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, those are really big ideas. And I would love to be able to apply those in my life. But I find that often when I get to those things, um, there's other obstacles that are even behind that, that come before that. And, and today when I wanted to come through, bring across are three big obstacles for my life personally, um, the things that I need to work on believing before I can apply those other things. And I have um, three big ideas that I want to, to, to try to bring through today. And these are things that I need to, that I need to work on personally. And I'm going to try to bring stories alongside that to explain how I'm working on it. Big idea number, big idea number one, you are not your wealth. 
Your identity is not tied into your money. You're not your money. Um, idea number two, you always have more than you know. God has always provided more than you even think and, and can imagine. Um, and idea number three, your resources shouldn't handicap your obedience. And I, I, I kind of, you know, it's your resources or your lack of resources shouldn't handicap your obedience. Those are the three big ideas, and we're going to kind of go one at a time, and uh, I'm going to take a passage from the story and also from uh, things I've learned over time. Um, so let's track with that. So point number one, um, you are not your wealth. And we start with this man, and he says, you know, at this, at the Bible says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I'd like to think, and I'm, I'm a very optimistic person, I'd like to think that this story is just part one and that part two just isn't in the Bible where eventually he comes back and it's like, hey, I did it. Uh, I don't know. I would kind of like that. Um, but this is really sad, I find, that this man um, had the choice to follow the master of the universe and decided to stick with his money instead. I, I'd like to think that he had a second chance eventually. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, but I, I'd, like that. I'd like to think that because I feel like I need to have that second chance. Often, I feel like in my life, personally, um, I've, I've, I've often put my own financial situation above following Jesus in lots of different ways. And, and I, don't, I don't do it on purpose, but often the choice is, if the choice is between you know, giving or, um, or, or serving in a certain way or being financially safe and secure, it's and not that they're necessarily mutually exclusive, but I, but I find that I understand that this man, like he, he has this money, he has this wealth, and he doesn't want to give it up. And his wealth, he might have had it, he might have gotten it from his parents. And, and this isn't a very rich area of the world, right? So he did have great wealth, this man, but great wealth at the time wasn't great wealth like today. It was probably like, he probably had a stable house and a job maybe that his, that his family had worked at for years and left, and left him. Um, he might have had the kind of security, and security back then was rare. It was a time where life was nasty, brutish, and short. So, so you can imagine that having security at that time and having financial wealth meant that you were okay and that you could keep a certain level of comfort in life that wouldn't be accessible to everybody. Um, but he, he had the choice between leaving everything and following Jesus, and he chose his stuff. And he couldn't imagine his life without the stuff in it. And that was, I think, the biggest obstacle for him, is that he couldn't imagine himself without his, 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 his wealth. His wealth, I think, made up part of who he was, and he couldn't distant, he couldn't imagine himself without it. And it's not that he wasn't necessarily a, a, a um, and I think this is, it would be a mistake to say that he wasn't a generous person. We don't know that. We don't know that he wasn't good with his wealth and he didn't give away a lot of it, but he couldn't imagine himself without it. His identity was wrapped up and tied in with that. Um, I think naturally in our world, our world tries to tie us up with, our ident- with, with how much we make. Um, I just think one time, I was struggling with this, so the, was a few years ago. Um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher elementary school teacher, so which means I work for all of you. You guys are my boss. You guys are my bosses, or at least you finance me by your taxes, and thank you very much. It's good. I'm also, I'm also one of the, the union rep for my school. So two years ago when everybody was on strike and you guys were angry at the teachers for being on strike, um, sorry. <laughs> but, but, um, but during those times, during these teacher strikes and such, uh, there's a lot of teachers here, so it's not just me, okay? Just so it'll be clear here. I'm looking at you, Steve. Uh, not Steve, uh, Matt. Matt, where's Matt? He's, there you are. Okay, 
um, they, but at the same time, um, Mike, yeah, lots of teachers. Uh, so, so at that time, when there's a union negotiation, often, uh, like, you go to these meetings, and if you haven't been to one before, it's, it's, quite, it's quite intense, and, and people get so angry about how much they make. People get so angry about money things. They get to the, the podium, and it's like, these people make this much in this province. How dare we not make an, that, the same amount here? So, so they would try to rile you up with like, you're worth more than they're giving you. It's a weird sentence, isn't it? You're worth more? You're like somehow like who you are has a certain monetary value? You're worth more than they're giving you. So I, I'd have this kind of dialogue in my head a few years ago. At the same time, um, I, was, I was biking to work like three times a week. So, because we have one vehicle, I'm trying to save money and be frugal. So, so we would, I would bike from my house in Vaudreuil. I'd, I'd go down St. Charles and then, pass, then through Lille Perot because there's no bridge on the 40. So it's like super long, like detour thing. And I'd get over Lille Perot. And then at this point, it's been like 25 minutes of biking. I'm really tired. Uh, Jared knows what this is like. Um, I, I get, I get, um, I get down in Saint, uh, and and um, Emmett would know like it was like too. I'd get down, I'd get down like the, in Saint Anne's, I'd go through Saint Anne's, and then I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. This is a really long ride, and then I'd get to the lake shore on in Beaconsfield, and and there's these mansions, and in my mind, I have this. You're worth more money than this, and I'm biking to save money, and I'm passing <laughs> these ginormous homes and in my heart I am so angry <laughs> how did they get these homes how did they have the money to do this how and then and then of course like the, the optimist in me goes well they probably worked really really hard as I sweat to get to work I'm working hard how <laughs> how how is it? It's just not fair. And, and, and in our mind, well, if I'm working hard and they worked hard, I get my bike and they have their mansion and they're, and they're like two Porsches and whatever else they have parked in front of it. And I think to myself, well, I'm working hard. Why don't I have that? Well, maybe I'm not worth it. Maybe the job I do isn't worth that. Your worth gets tied into who you are. And it's hard to deal with that because it, the world teaches us that. Actually, another example of that, you, you might know that they're working on autonomous cars. And, uh, they're asked, and one of the big issues with autonomous cars being rolled out right now is the, whole, is the trolley problem or the moral machine problem. If you're driving your car and the car has the option between saving you the passenger or running into a bunch of pedestrians, what should the car do? They don't know that. They haven't, they haven't decided what's the moral decision of who the car should hit. And... The, and, and um, so what they're doing right now is MIT and other great uh, big universities are planning to, to figure this out. So what should a car do if it's the choice between saving the driver and the passengers or saving the people and the pedestrians? They started asking people all over the world, they, the hundreds and 120-something countries they did this survey in, and depending on the country, um, there's always the ones that are really high, like if it's a pregnant woman or a stroller, that swerve it any day. Like, that's absolutely. So pregnant women out there, you're good to go. Um, but... Um, they started asking like other questions. Well, like if it's a doctor or a homeless person, 
I would like to know, of the 100 and something countries, I would like the next slide. Um, we find out that, that Canada is the 46th most likely country to spare the person with the highest status. <laughs> Someone's like, that's good. Okay, well, um, but, but, but no, not if you're the homeless person. <laughs> uh, um, in some countries, like Angola was number one, most likely to avoid the, most likely to, to hit the homeless person and uh, avoid hitting the doctor, maybe because they don't have very many doctors, but also because in different countries and culturally, we, we rank people by how much they make and how, what their status is. We kind of say, these people are worth this much and these people are worth this much. And, and our, our view of who we are gets tied into what, what they have, what we have and what they're worth and what they can do. And, and, and then our identity gets tied into what we've, what we've hoarded, how much we've had. And I, I like to think that, and I think this is true of, of Scripture, and, what it, it, and if we have to look at what Jesus says, it says that your identity is greater than what you've been hoarding, than what you have, than your, your accumulation of your wealth. And I love the word hoarding. It makes me, I'm a, I'm a big geek for fantasy movies and, and, and books and stuff and games and things. And, and like, I just kind of imagine the dragon with its, like, with the, the big dragon with its gold around him and underneath him. Uh, if you guys have watched The Hobbit, there's this great scene with like this dragon and this mountains and mountains of gold. And I don't have those mountains of gold, but I do have my little, little bit of like resources and wealth. And I do try to guide, guard, guard it because I, I have a hard time imagining my life without it. But the Bible tells us that who you are isn't based on your status, isn't based on how likely you would be to be hit by an autonomous car. It isn't based on how much you have or how much you're worth every day. It's based on what God thinks of you. And we know through the cross and through Jesus' sacrifice how much he thinks of us. And if our identity is based on that, then we don't need to worry about how much we have. And the beautiful thing of the early church and the beautiful thing of a church even like this one is that we have people of all different walks of life sitting one next to each other as brothers and sisters. And we can see really the truth of the matter is that what we have, our wealth, doesn't define us. And if our wealth doesn't define us, then it makes it easier to give it away because if we don't have it, we're still good in the eye of God, in the eyes of God. It's not easy, but it's easier. I'd, all, I'd also go a little bit further, though, because as much as it's tempting to define ourselves by um, how much we have, sometimes Christians go the opposite way and start defining themselves by how, they, they, how much they give. And, and that's another problem, because um, the Pharisees did that in the, in the New Testament as well. Um, uh, sometimes if you visit a really old church, you'll see pews. Uh, you'll see like these wooden benches. And you'll see, um, and sometimes, and this is not true of all churches, and, 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 but you'll see like, you'll walk into these old built church buildings and you get, to, get near the front and you'll notice that on one side, there'll be like a closed off area and they'll have the names of the people who are supposed to sit there. I can imagine back in the day that you would, you'd walk into this church building and you'd go sit down at where you were supposed to sit and you'd see the rich person in the town come and sit in the front bench that is reserved to him because he gave so much money, he has his bench dedicated for him. These ones are just like usher chairs for people who just served and needed a spot after. That I'm okay with. But, but, there were, but there's, this, there's this habit back in the day of like, hey, this person, through their financial giving, deserves a place of honor in the church. And I kind of feel that this is a bit like what Peter might have been getting at here when he said, we, we gave everything to follow you. Yes, yes, you did give a lot. However, your identity isn't, t- 
tied up in what you've given either. We don't give to get some kind of merit badge. It's not like we get our scout badge for giving so much. And, 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 and at Westside, we try to keep our, our givings anonymous in the sense that we don't, we don't have a list of, these are our givers. Even a few weeks ago when we talked about giving and David gave the numbers of how many families, and I think naturally we're like, so who would that be in that bracket? Like, like we, we tend to go there, but in some ways we try to keep it anonymous because it's not about who gave how much or who, like it's not, we don't give for the recognition. We don't have our PK Subin atrium at the front there because we don't need our, a name of the person who gave on it. Because not, that's not the reason. We don't, our reward is in heaven, it's not here. Even generosity can be a trap if it fuels your ego, if it fuels your sense of worth. Our worth is only in Jesus. So if our worth is only in Jesus, then why do we give? What's the point of giving? Well, Yes, it's true that it does train our, habit, uh, train our way of our habits of worrying. It trains us, from, um, it trains us uh, to, to trust in God, and there's lots of really good reasons to give. But I'm going to propose another reason, and a reason that I think that Jesus even himself is mentioning here in the passage. I think we give because we're part of a family. Um, I have five brothers, and actually, my parents are here. I didn't tell them that I was preaching today, but they, 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 have, they, they, they trained us well. Um, whenever we have an issue like we need to move something, we have brothers show up because we have brothers. That's what we do. Um, soon, uh, Joel and Sohar are moving and they have, there's brothers who are coming in to come and help move. Um, and, and, and it's like one of those things, like when it's a family, you give because it's family. It's just what you're, you're expected. Um, for the same reason, like um, <laughs> uh, when, my, when my brother is getting rid of his speaker system, he's like, hey, Nathan, do you want a speaker system? Yeah, sure. I'll take a speaker system. It's great. I can set it up in my basement. When you're with family, you don't give because, you, because it, it's, it's required of you. You give because you're just part of it. It's your family. Um, and if you, look at, um, if you look at it that way, then you don't really know how much you have. You don't know how much really is... Like, if you look at the, if yourself as a, actually part of the family of God, part of this church... But the church not as a, like a place you go, but a group that you're part of, a family that you're part of, then you know that like, what Jesus says is true. And this is, we can read what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, along with the persecutions, because it does come with difficulty, the bigger your family, the more issues you might face. We don't necessarily come to church because everybody gets along. It happens that people have disagreements and there's some people that don't, don't quite, you don't get along with quite as well as others. However, you do inherit in some ways this family, this bigger family of believers, and you don't quite know the cool riches of that. My girls look lovely. Most of their clothes have been given to them <laughs> by, by girls that are now teenagers in this, in this church <laughs> and others. And, and, and one of the reasons for that is because there's people who are generous with what they have, and then they, they have this stuff, there's wealth, and they don't hoard it for themselves. They're like, hey, this person, that, these people in the church could definitely use these and, and, and enjoy them. Here, let's just give it over. And it's, it is brilliant. It's one of those beautiful things that we can't, we're not like, you're not, ex, like, we don't, 
<laughs> we're not going to make a list of how much you owe and be like, you should give this to that person. and this. Like, that's not what we're doing. But at the same time, one of the beautiful things of a family, like a church family, is that you, the resources do get shared. And the, the, and the people do come alongside one another. And um, what me and Stephanie have and do in, for a living, we couldn't possibly do. Uh, our life wouldn't be considerably poorer if it wasn't for the people in this church community who make it who, who help come alongside us and, and encourage us and, and, and uh, give us stuff and help us with things and, te- you know, and dig holes for us or, or whatever. Like, God provided us a church family. Now, how substantial are the resources of the church family? How big is it? Well, if all of us are struggling with that first thing of like, God, how much do I have? How much can I give? Um, if all of us are, and all of us even just a little bit, like tap into that generous heart that God wants us to have, the resources of this family are, are huge. Consider this space that we're in right now. God did this by encouraging us to give, to be part of it. I would never have been able to afford any of this. God, through all of us, through encouraging all of us, has created this space, has built it through love, and has invited us to be part of it. Now, if you take that description and multiply it by the millions of churches worldwide, how substantial are the resources of the family of God? Now, I don't think the right mentality would be, all right, I'm joining this church I'm a visitor here for the first time. I'm going to join this church. They got money. That's not the point. (laughs) The point is more along the lines of, do you want to be part of a family that takes care of you? Do you want to be intentionally doing life with people and, and, and growing and being part of a growing family of believers? And I think there are certain prerequisites to being able to be part of that. And, and, I, would, and I kind of found three. One is you have to be okay with sharing your life with people. That's hard. It requires a sacrifice of time. It requires in, to be intentional with how you choose to spend your days and your hours. It requires sometimes turning TVs off and inviting people over and the awkward first times of, I don't really know this person that well, but I'm going to invite them to my table. And it requires eating with people, but it's, but it's that first question of who are you sharing your life with? People can't help meet your needs and you can't help meet the needs of people if you don't know them. So one of the first prerequisites is to actually make that time and make that effort to get to know people. And then you have to think that you also need to be good, better at giving. Some, sometimes, you know, like, it's hard to have people over and to invite them over and then they're like, oh, well, they, you know, this time I have to give hours and hours of time with these people that I don't really know that well. Well, yeah, but you have to get good at that because God encourages hospitality in his scriptures. But also even I think the harder part is you have to be good at receiving and and if, if your self-worth is built on how well you're doing by yourself, it's hard to receive help from others. If you've built your identity on how good you are at working at something or how, how okay you've been, it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm really being beat up by life right now. I need help. And when someone's like, hey, let me watch your, watch your kid for 10 minutes. Um, oh, no, you don't have to do that. It's often our first reaction. But no, they want to help. They want to be your family. If your parents were like, hey, I'll take care of your kids. Like, yes, absolutely. And then this day, and then this day, and then how about in two weeks? Like, but, but, but we don't, we, we're afraid to ask, 
And when people offer, we're afraid to receive because then we'll be owed something. No, they're family. They're not owing you anything. They're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Actually, I, I, I heard somewhere that one of the first ways to know that a person uh, is interested in becoming your friend is to let them do, a fa- let them do you a favor. Because there's people around you, probably in your neighborhood, who want to get to know you better. And they're like, hey, can I, uh, can I uh, help you with this uh, fence painting thing? Yeah, absolutely. They want to get to know you. It's ways people show compassion and, and love for each other. And it's ways that I think this big give is such a cool idea because it's our way of showing the world, giving to the world, um, but also you know, maybe encouraging them to come alongside and, and help um, one another. So it's, it's, it's a neat thing. And I think we need to be better at giving and also better at receiving. Because our society says, no, you got to be good on your own. Because that's your status. I'm okay. No. That's not how the family of God works. But it costs something, right? Because it does require a change of, it does require a change of behavior. It requires a change of, of, of um, uh, sometimes it will um, require you know, a cost, a financial cost, um, Particularly if, you're, if you see someone in big need and you feel like God is placing on your heart to, hey, I really think we should help these people out. They're going through a hard time. It might feel like really hard to do because, you know, it, you, know you worked hard for the money you have. And, and I found that too. But I, one thing that I found, and this is really true, and, and I think this is all over scripture, and that's point number three, your resources shouldn't handicap your obedience. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. Often, obedience looks impossible, and God does that on purpose because he wants us to grow in our faith. God's not interested in, in, his, in your money. He's interested in your heart and the trust that you can show him uh, in your relationship with him. You see it all throughout Scripture, I could just name some of the, like the, the Sunday school examples that we know pretty well. Oh, build a boat. Just kind of build a boat. Go for it. It'll rain later. Okay, okay I'll do that. Or, oh, there's a, there's a wall. Walk around it a whole bunch of times. It'll fall, I promise. <laughs> but, that's, but, but that's what the people of God were asked to do. Oh, these, these, these loaves and fishes? There's thousands of people? Just, just hand them out. I got this. All throughout scripture, we see this pattern of obedience with, with things that look impossible. And, um, and currently, we look at our financial situations, how much we've been given, how much we need. Maybe God has put something on your heart over the past month of like either giving or saving or changing some kind of pattern in, in the way that you, you deal with money, your money habits. And, and God's putting on your heart and it seems impossible. And like, but here I'm telling you, that's how it's supposed to seem. Because it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And our resources, our lack of resources, shouldn't handicap our obedience. I discovered this, I, I knew this for a long time, because my parents are good examples of people who who've, who've, who've <laughs> impossibly God has provided for so many ways. Um, they're in ministry. So, so like, we, I knew that you know, like occasionally God from week to week, month to month, we've just been praying, we pray and God provides. And I, I've known this. I learned it for myself the first time when I was in CJEP. My parents got a job out west and I was left behind here to finish my CJEP for my last year. Um, and they placed me with a family who um, um, were really generous in taking me in. 
uh, really super generous because they only charged me like something like 200 bucks a month for room and board, which is like unheard of and really generous on their part. Um, and at the time, I was super involved in a lot of different Christian ministries. I was uh, on the board of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at, 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 the, at John Abbott, where I, was, where I was serving, where I met Alex for the first time, actually. Um, and... Um, I was serving with Onrock in a in a in a uh, at a youth center every every weekend, and I was also involved with my youth group super heavily because I felt like God was calling me there too. So I really felt the strong the calling of God in a lot of different areas of my life, and I was worried that if I had to pay this two hundred dollars a month, I would probably have to get a job. And my parents, I think, made it so that I had, they wouldn't send me money, because I think they were kind of hoping that I would get a job. Um, and, uh, and this is a pattern. There's actually one of my brothers who also does this. Um, but, but, uh, but, but, but I think, in some ways, God, God I, I, had a, I really felt strongly that God wanted me to continue the ministry I was doing, and I was seeing fruit, I was encouraging people, uh, I was being, I think, uh, I was doing what God wanted me to do. And I had this struggle of, well, should I leave what I'm doing now, or should I, um, or should I, you know, I, I get a job and, and pay off to pay the room and board because I don't want to stiff these people who are being so generous to me, or should I? I don't know what else I should do. It seems impossible. I didn't see another solution. I sat down with um, the the head of the drop-in center, um, saying, "Hey, I don't think I can do this anymore." And he said, "Well, why don't you try to raise your own support and see if people will help subsidize the work you're doing by by, by giving you money?" And I said, "Well, I've seen how that works, and I know it's it's really hard to write these letters and call these people and, and ask for money." And but I, I felt like what he was speaking to me and what God was saying to me was about the same. I should continue doing what I'm doing. I said, "Okay, I'll try. I'll try to raise my own support and we on staff for on rock, and I'll be like I'll be at the drop-in center, and that'll that'll be what I'll do." Um, and um, month number one came, and it's, I still had a bit of savings. Um, nearing the end of the month, I, I knew I didn't have any money to pay the following month. Uh, room and board. So I'm praying about this. Oh, God, you, you asked me. To, I, I kind of really felt that, that this is what you wanted me to do, and, and, if, and, if, and if, if not, I'm going to have to like, have a really humbling conversation if I don't have any money, and I'm going to go get a job now, and that's just what's going to have to happen. And I was praying over this, and I, I get to, to John Abbott. I go downstairs to where the club rooms were, and I walked into the IVCF room, and we have on, this, on our wall these little envelopes uh, with our names on them, written in Sharpie. And in the Nathan envelope, I, in the Nathan little envelope glued to the wall, I, I, I opened it and there's $200. And from that point on, I knew like, God, okay, your hand is in this. Someone left $200 cash in my envelope in a public place in the basement of a CJEP. <laughs> it's a miracle in itself that no one took it. <laughs> but, but, um, but it convinced me once again, something that I knew from my childhood, that when God asks for obedience, he will provide the resources. And I found out afterwards that who it was, it was a, another young lady in, in, the, in the Christian fellowship who, um, who was praying at her church, and God had just spoken to her, you should give Nathan some money. You should give Nathan $200. And she's like, oh, that, that's weird. But she did it. She was obedient. She thought, okay, I'll do that. And she didn't, she didn't know my situation. She didn't know that I needed money. She just kind of felt God placed that on her heart. And that was like the time that God gave me $200. And, 
And it was so strange. But at the same time, it was an example again of how your obedience shouldn't be handicapped by the lack of resources. Um, and I found that out since. Like, I, I know that God called us, and we, me and Stephanie both really felt strongly when we mo- moved to Vaudreuil that God was calling us there. We called the mortgage guy. He's like, you're never going to get a mortgage. You have, don't have enough income, and you don't have enough savings. And you, maybe if you have family who can give you money, you're never going to get a mortgage. Calls me back shortly after. Okay, I have two people who want to give you a mortgage. I can't walk into my house without knowing that God made it possible. And I think that we need to understand that when God calls us to something, he has all the resources and he can provide them. And as we go forward, I don't know what God's calling you to do or what God's calling you to, what decisions he's calling you to make, but I want to know, you to know before anything else that he's got this, he's got you. And then that thing that you've been worrying about, that thing that you, that, 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 that money, a habit that is, that, is, that is driving you crazy and that you want to deal with and you don't quite know how, God has got this and he wants to help you and he cares about you specifically. His money issues, it's just, money is mostly just made up little coins and stuff anyway, right? Like God has all the resources and to him, what is it but, but just uh, a game that humans play amongst themselves? <laughs> when he's got everything and he can take care of whatever need we have. So what are our next steps? Well, first next step I would encourage you to do is just breathe. If you're, if you're, at, that, if you're at that point, no, if you're at that point when financially you feel like your back is to the wall and you don't know where the money's gonna be next week and you're feeling stressed out, just, just start by just taking a deep breath and understanding from this story and from many others that, you know, that God has you and you're going to be okay. And he can handle whatever stress you're feeling about your resources and your finances. He has got this. You can trust him. You can bring it to him in prayer. You can trust that he'll provide for you. Um, and, um, and that would be step number one. And then your step number two would be to pray and to just take your time with God and and bring all your concerns to him because that's ultimately where he wants you to be. He he knows you intimately. And and just like that young man who's like, hey, Jesus, what can I do for eternal life? He knows where your heart is at and he loves you. And And he might know that you're struggling with holding on to your wealth just like he was. And he might challenge you but when he does, you'll be with him and you'll be talking to him. And hopefully he'll, he'll encourage you to, to trust him, which is step number three. And, and, and in your trust, go forward and, 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 and do the thing he's asked you to do. And trust that his resources will be there. Trust that by going and being part of a family of, of Christians, people will see you. And trust that you know you can be open and honest and and and, and to one another because we all love you. We're here to love you and and to be part of each other's lives. Trust that we can we can um, that God can 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 do the everything he that's needed to make sure you'll be okay. And it might not be instantaneous, 
I can't promise you, and this is nothing, I'm not, I'm not promising you guys great riches, so that's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying if you pray enough about it, you're going to, like, all the money is going to come. That's not what I'm saying. Hopefully that's not what you remember from my money-giving story thing. Um, what I want you guys to think is that, you know, in obedience, God will provide. And there were other moments in my life where I have felt really tight on money. And there are times when we have to make difficult decisions and tough choices and have had to, like, save for things or not buy things because we didn't have the money for it. And there, there are all those things about wisdom and using money properly. I think we need to remember those and keep those very high in our mind. But we need to, before all of that, just have that posture of trust that allows us to say, God, if you're calling me to live this way, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to provide. Sounds good? So what we're going to do tonight tonight. I'm sorry. It's been that long. No. Okay. No. I tell you, we need a clock. Uh, no, what we're going to do to finish is, is um, we're going to just, I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads and I'd like to pray for all of us and, and kind of pray through all those, those, those steps one after the other. And then, uh, and then after we're done praying, I'll invite you guys to maybe just, maybe there'll be some music starting up and then we'll just kind of get, get ready to go. So Lord, <sighs> Help us take that breath, God. Just understand that, Lord, you care for us, that you see our struggles, and that you're with us in them. Lord, take away any feeling of loneliness we have in this, that somehow this mountain needs to be climbed and we don't know how to do it and we're all by ourselves. God, you are with us. Help us take that deep breath and understand that you know and that you're inviting us to, to just see ourselves as people who you are, that, that, that you love and that you will take care of. Free us from our worry, God. Lord, help us to come to you this day. Give us a habit this week. Whenever we think about money, we think about things that bother us, about our resources and our our, our finances or our wealth or anything, I pray, Lord, that we will just bring it to you. Give us the reflex to pray about it every day. Help us trust you, Lord. Develop in us the muscle of, tr- the spiritual muscle that is trust, God. Just remember that you have all the resources. Remind us that we're part of a bigger family. Teach us to give and to receive. Lord, we, we love you. Be with us this week. Thank you for um, your provision. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.